Uh, will you please be seated? I'm going to read that scripture in the text, or in, in, in the sermon, okay? So if you'll just be seated. And I hate to break a tradition, uh, but that's not uncommon for me. So, uh, so anyway, so thank you. So nice to see you. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, in my neighborhood, if I would see you as a kid with all these masks on, I would think you're trying to rob me. But uh, we do have to make adjustments. Um, it's exciting to be here this weekend, and uh, I'm grateful to Pastor Kevin for the opportunity to share the Word of God with you. And this weekend is really sort of the brainchild, the visionary vision of Mrs. Hickman, who a couple of years ago wanted Gary Chapman and me to come here for the opportunity of improving race relations, to talk about our story and how, what God did, but also talk about marriage. And there was a lot of spiritual warfare involved. And so instead of having one day, what God did, he gave us basically three days this weekend to be here. So I'm excited. Uh, I went to Covenant College about 100 years ago, so it's kind of good to come back and see some faces. I do have some books for sale. I have, uh, I'm gonna spend most of the sermon talking to singles, because a lot of times when we do marriage stuff, singles get left out. So if you're in middle school or older, I'm talking to you. If you've been married and you're now single, uh, most of the content is gonna come from here and that it'll be out there. Uh, first book I wrote 20 years ago was about winning the race to unity, and it's asking the question, is racial reconciliation really working? And it really gives some, some, some context of how to improve race relations culturally and not just be binary. And then a book that uh, a lot of men and women like is called Keeping Your Wife Your Best Friend. Uh, some guys misquote it and said making your wife your best friend, but it's been my experience, you can't make women do anything, so, uh, so. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying. So anyway, but uh, so I hope you will go and buy the books that are out that way. I, uh, there are four women in my life, so I'm the minority in their sorority. So uh, just pray for me. And uh, I'm so grateful that you're praying for Ukraine. Uh, two years ago, Brenda and I were over in Ukraine doing marriage conferences. And so we have dear friends that we're supporting. And we also have invitations to go to Russia and Moldova. So we're waiting to see what God's going to do with all of this. Well, let me get started because Kevin told me I need to be out of here by 2 o'clock. So uh, <laughs> did, I, did I say something wrong? So, and the spiritual warfare has just been so amazing. Normally, I don't preach from a, a laptop, but uh, this is what it is. Well, I want to talk about relationships. And to me, relationships are keys in the song of life. And as we talk about relationships, so often single people, and I have a passion for single people. I was in my 30s before I got married, so I don't know how you feel, but I can understand sometimes the pressure we get, even from well-meaning church folk, while we're being single. Is anybody, well, I want to even ask you to raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But if you're single and you're not married, I just want to share this with you. If you're in Christ, you're complete. If you're in Christ, you're complete. You don't, quote, have to be married. So, so keep that in mind. So there's nothing wrong with you. Or maybe a better way of saying that is that I think everybody's abnormal. Just some of us are more abnormal than others. Okay, so that's a more accurate way to say that. Well, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and you're single, you may have read this. And God said, it's not good for the man or the woman to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And if you heard that, then maybe you're saying silently, Okay, if it's not good to be alone, to be cut off or isolated, I'm ready now, so what's the delay? And, and 
and maybe you're thinking this if you're single, whether you're in middle school, high school, college, or out of school, am I not worthy enough? Am I not good looking enough or deserving enough or, or athletic enough? Those are from Satan. Don't go there. Don't question yourself as if you're not enough because that's the enemy. Because remember in Christ, you're complete. Now Satan normally, and I leave my phone there. Yes, we grab, I'm on Medicare so I don't remember everything very well, thank you. Y'all are laughing with me, right? Okay, thank you. Well, in, in, you know, Satan tries to get us to question God. When Adam and Eve were created, um, he went to Eve and, and tried to make her think that God was somehow holding out on her, even though she was the crown, she and Adam were the crown of his creation. And in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, I'll just read it to you real quick. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat from any of the in the fruit of any of the trees in the garden. Of course we may eat from fruit in the trees of the garden, the woman replied. It's only fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said we must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Now, God didn't say anything about touching it. And what's happening here, Eve is wondering if God is really holding out on her, if she's missing out on something, and she's actually looking for a way to sin when she talks about, being, about touching the tree. I don't remember if you were, if you remember when you were little, but are any of you in here, did you ever play your parents against one another? You know, and, and, and a child always went to the weakest parent. I mean, if you're a boy, you went to your mom because she was so soft and similar. If you're a girl, you go to your dad. And, and, and so whenever I was trying to do something, like if I wanted permission, I'll go ask my mom, can I go play basketball? And she would say, go ask your father. And so by the time I got to my father, the message had changed a little bit. And so the message when I got to my dad said, hey, dad, mom said I can go play basketball if it's okay with you. And so Eve was looking for a way to sin in this process. But then it goes on and says, the woman was convinced when she saw, well, let me go back here. Well, then Satan says, you won't die. When he sees her weakening, he basically calls God a liar. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now what's interesting in this is that being like God, she already had that. You see, God had already given the man and the woman his DNA. And so Satan was trying to give her something she already had. See, Satan by his very nature can't really own anything. And even we translated demon-possessed or something like that, it's, it's really demonization it has to do with influence, not ownership, because he can't create anything. So, so keep that in mind. But when she saw that it looked good and she thought again God was holding it out on her some kind of way, uh, she ate something, she gave some to her husband, and then after the husband ate, both her eyes were open, and at that moment they realized that there, suddenly their shame came because at their nakedness. And so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. I thought it was really, really amazing. But remember, you're complete in Christ, so God's not holding out anything from you. Well, another thing is Satan can't give us peace. You know, and he wouldn't give it to us even if he could. In Isaiah 26, verse 3, it says, You will keep in perfect peace him or her whose mind is steadfast because he trusts you. We need to focus on the Lord when things aren't the way we think they should be. 
And even when they are the way we think they should be, we should focus on him. That he should be that, uh, our, our guide. And listen to this. Spiritual emptiness can't be filled by physical actions or things. And that's why we can accumulate so many things, but unless that God vacuum is filled with Jesus and we're really honoring the Holy Spirit, we're going to still be frustrated. So, this is Shula theology, and Pastor Kevin will probably be here next week to clean this up. But I believe that God's best for me is always right now. Not yesterday, not tomorrow. God's best for me, if he's really sovereign, is always right now. Not yesterday, not tomorrow. You see, the scriptures say in Lamentation that the faithful love of the Lord never ends. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin to fresh when? Every morning. See, if I'm focusing on the past, I'm not seeing what God's doing today. And if I'm focusing on the future, and I don't mean we can't think about the future, but if we want God to change things and we need stuff now, then I'm missing what God's trying to do today. So I'll, I'll never forget when I was uh, in seminary, I, I was, uh, it was a rare occasion, but I was actually making straight A's because God had gotten into my head and said, you know, if you're not faithful with these books, I'm not going to trust you with people. And so the word of God became much more important. Well, not the word of God, but studying became much more important. It actually became an act of worship. And, and, and so, but I remember I was giving myself a break, so I go down to the gym, play basketball, and I tear my ACL. And so I'm in a cast for like three weeks hopping around seminary. And as I'm hopping around seminary, I'm meeting people I would normally have never met. And God used those different people to enrich my life while I was on, on, this, on crutches. And so even in the midst of that, God was glorifying himself. So God's best is, is not yesterday and it's not tomorrow, it's right now. And so the key for us as Christians is say, God, what are you doing in my life today? What, what do you want to teach me today? What are you showing me today? Now, we need to realize that, that God always has my best interest at heart. So God really knows what's best for me more than I do. That may be a foreign concept. We, we, we won't, we've never said that theologically, but sometimes our actions say that, right? That, that we think we know more than God. And so I want to read from our, our text, and you don't need to stand up, but I want to read from Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. And I'm reading from a New Living Translation. And it says this, and I'll keep us out of here, I, I promise, by 1 o'clock. It says... He's talking to God, say, you made all the delicate parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Now, now guys, we know, we know that women are complex, right? Y'all, y'all quiet, y'all scared, aren't you? Okay. <laughs> They're supposed to be the weaker sex, but we're scared of them, right? But we do know that women are complex, right? And how do we know that women are complex? Because when God created woman, he had to take a day off. I mean, he had, he, he had a day of rest, right? Right? I mean, that's in the scriptures, right? The last thing he, I mean, right? And so, and we know that's not God's character because Psalm 121 says what? God neither what? He doesn't slumber, he doesn't sleep. But when he created woman, whew, I got, you know. So anyway, uh, I'm just saying, just, just, I just find a little fun. But then, the God of all creation, listen to this. The God of all creation, he says, your workmanship is marvelous. We are God's workmanship. You know, I live in Colorado, beautiful mountains, Pike Peak. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Listen, 
No matter what people say about you, no matter what your relationship status is, the God of all creation, the God who has that sun shining, calls you and me marvelous. That's good news. You know, if I'm depressed, that, that might get me out of my depression because the God of all creation calls you marvelous. Then anyway, it says, you watched me, I was being formed in utter seclusion. I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Uh, one of my friends, uh, his daughter makes a fortune of filming childbirth. I, it would gross me out, but a lot of people want that and, and, and they pay good money for it. I mean, it's just unbelievable. But God was actually with you in the womb. In the, I, I don't know how, you, how, that, how that happens. But then he says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recording your book. Now listen to this. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God did not create you for the day. God created the day for you. You understand what I'm saying? God did not create you for the day. He created every day for you. And so every day you live, God is simply saying to you, I love you. Here's 24 hours we can spend together. What are we going to do together? What a gift. What a gift. Anyway, we could almost take an offering on that right now. Okay, now, so listen to me. So based on that, you have a godly destiny. So don't wish your time away on tomorrow or waiting for things to be different. Learn to embrace today. You know, I was sitting here this morning and, and, and the spiritual warfare attack has just been crazy and I, I was getting frustrated in, in my righteous indignation. I'm not sure how righteous it was, but I was just frustrated. And so during the worship time, you know, God's beginning to, through the Holy Spirit, begin to say, hey, you know, this is about me. You need to be speaking about me. This is not about you. You need to focus on me. And I said, oh, I said, man, you're right. You're right. This is so not about me. And it's so easy for us to get distracted from what's really important. So we need to really learn to focus and refocus sometimes. So let's embrace today. So if you're single, here's some principles you might need to understand and embrace. And I'm just going to throw these out again there in the book. They go in much more detail. Um, ask God, what do you trying to teach you in the midst of your singleness? Is it, it's all about trusting God even when we don't feel like it. We're made in God's image. Now, what's so significant about it? In Genesis 1, 26 and 28, when we're made in his image, uh, and he says three times in those uh, verses that we're in his image. That means we have his DNA. And in fact, we may have his DNA. That means in verse 28, it says he blessed them. And some Hebrew scholars said when he says he's blessed us, that means when God looks at you, he sees himself in us. And so what he basically says is the word, wow. Now, can you imagine, again, the God of all creation, when he looks at you and me, he goes, wow. Because he sees himself in you. And I always have fun because I think it's true, you know, now, now all babies are beautiful, right? I mean, I mean, if they're related to you, they're beautiful, right? Because they look like you. But there are other babies we see sometimes that, that, uh, <laughs> that, you know, we go like, ooh, Lord, let's pray, help, help they grow out of that, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but when God looks at us, he sees his DNA, and he goes, Wow. And so we should not focus on self-worship. We should focus on, but we should focus on gaining a better understanding of self-worth. There's a difference between self-worship and self-worth. Because we have self-worth, we have value, we have purpose, we have a destiny. 
And think about this, in Genesis 1.26, because God's sovereign, he knew we were going to mess up. And he created us anyway. So the God of all creation, he wanted us in the midst of our imperfection. So no matter what anybody says to you, no matter what anybody treats you, God wanted you and he created us anyway. And to him we have value, we have purpose, we have a destiny. Is that good news? Okay, so let's keep rolling here. So here's the deal. I will think this is really important for singles. If you're not content being single, you won't be content in a friendship, a dating relationship, or marriage. You need to like you. Because you bring value to the table. And Christians, sometimes we struggle with this. We have what I call this false humility. Oh, I'm I'm so unworthy. No, God has made you worthy. You have value. So when you go into a relationship, the other person shouldn't make you. But it's what you're bringing to the table. Because if we don't do that, we can unintentionally put that girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or wife on a performance track to please us. And a lot of Christians have developed an improper theology that God wants me happy. God's not called you to be happy. He's called you to be holy. But if you're holy, you'll be happy. You understand the difference? Mm. Some other things you might be asking, if God loves me so much, then why am I still single? I hear you, I hear you. But you may not be emotionally ready, which may cause you to become dependent and needy. And if we're dependent and needy, then we become (laughs) codependent, dysfunctional, and ultimately destructive in relationships. You with me? We can become codependent, we can become, you know, dysfunctional, and ultimately destructive because it's selfishness. And I know none of you in here are selfish, but you know other people that are. But selfishness is a cancer to relationships. And because I'm on Medicare, I have to say stuff where I can think about it. Listen to me. If you want to have a long-lasting relationship, it's not about getting, it's about giving. It's about serving. See, the world's culture is talking about taking and getting because it's all about me. God is always about serving and giving because it's all about him. And if we serve, we'll receive. But if we take it and try and keep, we can't always hold on to it. So maybe the person God wants you to connect with isn't ready yet. Some people define themselves by their relationship status. And so as soon as they get out of one relationship, they try and get into another one because if they're single, then they say something's wrong with me or they perceive people think something's wrong with me. Another reason for our singleness is maybe your broken heart hasn't been healed. So the worst thing you can do is go into a relationship with a broken heart. The other thing is God does not want to compete for our affection with anyone. For some of you, being in a relationship has become your God or your idol. You know, it's funny, when I was in seminary and uh, I was dating a lot of really great girls, but they were not really God's best for me, which meant that I was not God's best for them. But my buddy's trying to get me, uh, trying to get, find me a girlfriend. So we would sit in, in, in a traditional black church a lot of times, the ministers sit up in the pulpit during the sermon. 
And so we developed a code. And it was his idea, not mine. But, he, but, but it, you know, in the black church, I don't know if y'all hang out in the black church. Black church is really funny. Stuff's always happening. And so if people were coming in late, attractive girl would come in. My buddy, uh, Amos, would be sitting on the pulpit. And he, and he would sit back here. And uh, if a pretty girl came in on that side, he, he would move his leg over here. And, uh, and while the pastor was preaching, he would say, help me, Lord Jesus, something like that. And I knew to look over that side, she would look at that side. And uh, if she was, and if she's on this side of church, he would, he would just cross his leg the other way and say, he'd say, help me, Lord Jesus. And I knew to look on that side. So, uh, yeah, I know I was bad. We had issues. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but I got tired of doing that. So anyway, could it be that the spiritual lessons God wants you to learn before you get into a relationship. Maybe God is allowing you to see whom or what you love the most, him or being in a relationship. Now, I remember I, this girl and I, we just broke up uh, during December, right before, uh, before, uh, before Christmas break. And I remember going home and talking to my grandmother, actually my adopted grandmother, she, she was actually white and we were, we were sitting there and we were talking and she was taking through the book Philippians. She says, when God has not changed things, and so I began, I, I don't do well for living with expectancy. I don't think God owes me stuff. And so I just began to say, you know, maybe I'm never going to get married. And I said, God, if I'm not going to get married, you, you got to help me with this. Because I'm tired of turning my neck every time somebody walks in church. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, uh, and so I just said, you know, I'm probably not going to get married, God. Just help me. I might need to take a lot of cold showers, but I'm, I'm good. And so when I met my wife, I was not looking for my wife. Are you with me? That was no longer a priority for me. I said, God, if this is what you want, I'm going to be focused to you. And so as I began to focus on him, I was not looking toward her. But then she comes to school and she wears this, this hairstyle. I can tell she's from D.C., Maryland area by her way her do was. And, uh, and I could tell she was sassy, a little bit classy. And, and, uh, and so I've been traveling over around the world playing basketball and sharing the gospel with Christian teams and she started talking about missions she got my attention and my buddy assigned me to, to walk her through registration and so I was just being you know submissive to authority and uh, and one thing led to another well maybe God wants to determine if you continue living with for him if you never get into a relationship well, let me hurry up maybe God wants you to understand that life's ultimate goal is not getting married, it's a personal relationship with him. And maybe your singlehood is a time for you to get to know God personally, an individual, before getting into a relationship. Getting to know God better is going to really help you know what you're looking for, and, you know, even better. And you get to know yourself better as well. Being single, regardless of your age, could be because God has your best interest at the center of his heart. Think about that. So if I'm single and God really loves me, that's God's best for me for right now. I need to focus on that. Doesn't mean I can't date, doesn't mean I'm going to do it, but, but I need, we need to have a different perspective. Is this making sense? Okay. Could it be that God's not holding out on you, but maybe holding his best for you? Did y'all hear that? Could it be that God's not holding out on you, but holding his best for you? Maybe God sees what we can't see. Hence, it could be that God who loves us is protecting us. But would you rather be single or be in an abusive relationship? I'm, I'm, okay. 
Y'all kind of quiet on that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> could it possibly be that? Now listen to this. Could it possibly be that you're so special to God that he didn't want to share you with anybody? Just a thought. Just a thought. So here's my last thing I want to say to singles. I still want you to stay tuned, though, because uh, I want to talk to married folks, and I'm going to help you not make some mistakes that we married folks make. But here's the last thing I want to say to singles. Don't seek to be, don't seek to find God's best. Focus on being God's best. Because God won't bring his best to mess. Don't seek to find God's best. Focus on being God's best. Because God won't bring his best to mess. If you look in the scriptures, the way a lot of Christians or Christ followers or God followers found God, I mean found their mates, God would bring their mates to them. I think he still does that. Anyway, all right. Let me talk to married folks. And if I don't finish, you know, we had marriage conference yesterday and stuff, so, but, but I love my single folks. Okay. Now, the first thing I want to share, I want to share seven practices that are revolutionizing my marriage. Okay. And I say revolutionizing because we're in process. Uh, this summer, July 27th, will be 37 years for my wife and me. And uh, thank you. And, uh, <laughs> she told me, she said, you know, uh, I would like to trade you in for a younger model, but your warranty's worn out. And I can't, I can't, it's, your warranty's expired. I can't trade you in. I said, I said, well, you're stuck anyway. So anyway, here's the deal. I counsel so many Christian couples. It's, 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 it's kind of a lot. It's amazing. Now I'm counseling NFL and, and uh, NBA people who say we're Christ followers. So let me say this. Your marriage, if your marriage, is a supernatural thing. It's supernatural because God's involved. We have a supernatural enemy called Satan. And Satan knows if he can destroy our marriage, he can impact our marriage negatively for the next three to four generations. What you do in your marriage either impacts your marriage and your family either positively or negatively for the next three to four generations. But I'm amazed how many Christian couples don't read and apply God's word together. See, you can't really have physical intimacy as a Christian couple if you don't have spiritual intimacy. Okay, so that's one thing we need to do. That's really important. And in fact, one of the first things I do when couples who are in trouble come to me, I have a reading, a biblical reading program that's just a week I have them do, and, and they also do something else, and then they come back, I say, what did God do for you? And a lot of times, just reading the word together, and one more thing turns their marriage around. It's unbelievable how powerful the word of God is. Anyway, of course, the bad thing is they stop coming, and I, I lose a client. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so reading God's word and applying it with your spouse is really critical. The most important thing you can do with your spouse is pray with your spouse. The most important thing you do with your spouse is pray with your spouse. If you're a Christian couple and you're not praying together and you're married, you're an accident waiting to happen. It's like driving down a road with no car insurance. You hear what I'm saying? Why do I say that? Well, 
Research shows that couples who pray together, I'm not talking about three or four hours, I'm talking about three or four minutes. Couples who pray together, and I try and give them to hold hands, couples who do that, they lower their chance of divorce to one out of 10,000 couples. Now, with the divorce rate in America somewhere around 50%, give or take, if you can just pray with your spouse three to five minutes a day and you lower your chance of divorce to one out of 10,000 couples, I think that's a good investment. What do y'all think? But I bet if we ask people in this church, right, in this setting, maybe only 15% of you probably do that. And Satan loves that, and that's why he beats us over the head so much in our marriage, we're struggling in our marriage with conflict because we're not doing that. When Brenda and I pray together, because Brenda and I both were strong-willed and we're stubborn, we can have great fights. But when we're praying together and holding hands, it softens our heart. It gives us patience with each other in the area of communication, right? It, it just, we're not so, have to get our way. So many things happen, and on top of that, God's being glorified. And we're also protecting our marriage against Satan as we're praying together. In, in fact, they say the most important thing you can do from a book called Couples Who Pray if you want to have a happy marriage, then you got to pray. The, the number one factor in having a happy marriage is praying together. I mean, it's just unbelievable how much research is in that. So I encourage you and challenge you to begin to pray together. Now, now maybe my favorite point is uh, the next one is being a pleasure to be married to. I, I speak a lot for, uh, do marriage conferences. I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, where your pastor is today, and we were doing a marriage conference. About 800 people were there. Uh, we speak for family life. Uh, marriage conference and on Saturday that the old format I was speaking four times on Saturday so that's four hours and so it's the last session that I'm supposed to give that day and I'm really kind of tired so my buddy's wife was at the speaker's table and I was telling her before I was getting ready to go up and, and talk to the audience I said I'm really tired I, I gotta get psyched up so I can go do the sermon her husband hears me he grabs his manual goes up on the podium and does my talk for me I'm stunned. I look at her, I say, I can't believe you did that. And she says this, she says, he's a pleasure to be married to. I said, man, and, and Mrs. H, that messed me up. Because the rest of the weekend, I'm wondering if Brenda thinks I'm a pleasure to be married to. <laughs> so, so this was Saturday, so Sunday we finished the conference, I fly home, Brenda picks me up from the conference and we're driving home, and I'm, I'm trying to get my nerve, Ms. H, to, uh, you know, and Travis, trying to get my, ner my nerve up to ask my wife, does she think I'm a pleasure to be married to, you know, because I think I'm a pretty good guy, right? So, uh, <clears throat> so I finally get my nerve, I get, Brenda, <clears throat> do you, uh, <clears throat> you, think I'm a <clears throat> you think I'm a pleasure to be married to? And she looks at me, and she smiles, and uh, <laughs> you know what she said to me, Travis? She said, you all right? And, uh, <laughs> And uh, my first thought was not praise the Lord, okay? Uh, my, first, my first thought was your mama. But anyway, uh, but, uh, but I didn't say that, but I thought that. But then the Holy Spirit said, I thought you were going to be pleased with marriage. I said, okay. So then I said, I got some work to do. So I came home and I started doing stuff around the house I never did. Like, like my wife, we had this rule. The last one out of bed makes the bed. Now, personally, sheets are clean. I see no reason to make the bed every day. It's just It's the extra work because you make it. You got to go back in. It just, it's just. But then my wife, I learned that the bedroom really didn't belong to me. 
that the bedroom is in my wife's room, you know, because she wants to fix the room. She's got 59 teddy bears. She puts on you know, all this stuff. And so y'all feel me on that? Okay. So anyway, so I'm doing all this stuff. So I actually make the bed one time and then I rearrange her teddy bears. So she comes in the next, that morning and said, oh, that's so sweet. You're so creative. I said, hmm, that works. Let me write that down. And so I'm doing all this kind of stuff. And my wife thought it was an invasion of the body snatchers, actually, because she kept coming and said, did you do? And so everything's cool. So one day she says, we need to counsel this couple. And she said, you need to clean your office. And when I'm writing books, uh, my office, I just throw stuff, you know, because I'm doing research. So she... So I said, okay, I'll clean my office. So it took about six hours to clean my office. It was really bad. And she's really mechanically inclined. I mean, her, her dad is a, he builds his house from scratch. He designed college curriculums around the globe. He's a Renaissance guy, he, all this stuff. And, and she, who's who in college, but she married me. So I don't do any of that stuff. So anyway, uh, so I said, well, you take care of sprinklers. She said, okay. So we, I cleaned my office, we counseled the lady uh, and her husband, but she didn't do the sprinklers. And so I'm trying to be really spiritual. And um, I let her go. She just became an executive for it, this nonprofit. And so, but two weeks go by and I asked her, she said, oh, I forgot. Another week goes by, I forgot. And then finally I asked her again. She says, well, will you help me do that? And my first thought was, that's not fair. I didn't say it to her, but I'm thinking, I did my stuff, you know, but marriage is not 50-50. It's 100-100. So anyway, um, and so I'm about to give her all these reasons why I shouldn't help her with that. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, I thought you would be a pleasure to be married to. I go, drag, man. <laughs> and so I help her do the sprinklers. And, and God showed me that if I'm going to be a pleasure to be married to, it's not serving her when it's convenient for me. It's serving her whenever she needs it. Because I'm committed to her. Because I'm committed to the Lord. Anyway, okay, let me keep going. And so we have to develop a consistent attitude of adjustment. Now, first 20 years I was married, I don't think I ever washed any clothes. I'm not sure I knew where the washing machines were because I was always working, I was traveling. But anyway, now that I'm a writer, I work out of my house. And so it's easy to wash the clothes in the context, you know, when, I, when I'm home, I'm taking breaks from writing. And so I thought it was pretty good. I know how to sort them. I know how not to get clothes, colors all mixed up. I even fold the clothes. I think I'm you know, pretty good. So, so one night, and I know clothes are going to dry, don't go to dry. I think I'm pretty good, right? So, so one night, it's 10 o'clock at night, and I'm trying to put some of her clothes over her towel rack so they don't go in the dry and they can just dry themselves, right? And she's got a lot of stuff in front of the, the tub. I can get to the thing. I said, I said, baby, you got a lot of stuff here in front of the tub. It's hard to get put your clothes up. And instead of her saying, oh, yeah, I, I need to move those, you know what she said to me, Travis? She said, you got a lot of junk over here in front of your, your chest. I got, no, you didn't. And so... Uh, and so we're about to go to war. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And, uh, and the Holy Spirit says, is it worth it? She's tired, you're tired, can you let that go? So we have to learn sometimes to make an adjustment. And he said, if it's really that important, you can talk about it in the morning. We both are ready to, to more better shape to talk about it. Well, I want you to see something really important. It's a video clip. It's called, it's not about the nail. So, so watch this clip. Some of you may have seen it. Watch this clip. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless. And 
I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me most, is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like... There's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Come on, Ow. if you would just- Don't! Try to see things my way Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on? Okay, now it's a fundamental truth here. Ladies, we are fixers. When you come to a problem, our natural inclination is to fix things. But guys, the way our wives are wired, most women, not all women are wired, when they come and share something with us, they're not necessarily asking us to fix it. They're trying to get us into their, their world, they want us to be in, in theirs, us, they want to be in our world as well. So what's important was, he, he tried to empathize with what she was saying. He's not going to totally know what she's saying, understand, but he's trying to. So here's, here's a tip from all that. When your wife or girlfriend comes to you and she's expressing a problem, listen to it. You may ask clarifying questions, whatever, but don't offer suggestion to fix it unless she says, what do you think? Are you with me? That will keep you out of a ton of trouble, right? For you older married guys. Okay, anyway, okay. Next point. You know, Brenda been married for, I don't know, maybe 25, 30 years at the time, I can't remember, and I found myself sometimes talking to her a way that I would not normally talk to her. No profanity, nothing ugly, but I began to take it for granted. I was talking to her a way I would never talk to her when we were dating, engaged, first few years of marriage. But I began to take it for granted. And, and God began to say, he said to me one day, he said, you know, uh, you prayed for a long time to get married. And I gave you Brenda. She's my gift to you. And the way you treat my gift is a reflection of how you love in me. How you treat Brenda is a reflection of how you're worshiping me. I got my attention. And so now I, I you know, so, so and, and it was funny because when I first saw Brenda crossing seminary, whatever, walking around, I would start saying, yes, Jesus loves me. And so, and I'd gone from that to not talking always the best way. So number, next point is tell myself I'm doing this because I love my wife. And so a lot of times she asks me to do stuff I don't want to do. I do it because I love my wife. And biblical love is not based on emotion. It's based on action. According to Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 36. That's why biblically we can't fall out of love. Are you with me? And it's why God didn't fall out of love with us. I'm not talking about anybody's been divorced. I'm not putting anybody down. I'm simply saying from a biblical perspective, love is an action. It's not an emotion. Okay, number six. 
Um, a friend of mine, Melanie uh, Fleming, she's a counseling peer. She wrote this great book that I take couples have had affairs through called Dance of Restoration. And she makes this statement. She says, much more risky for the woman to have sex with a man than for the man to have sex with a woman. We're wired differently. And, and I'm talking about sex here briefly. You know, the late Howard Hendricks says, we should not be ashamed to talk about what God's not ashamed to create. And some people, even Christians, say, oh, we don't ever talk about sex, especially in church. Well, where are we going to get a biblical understanding of sex? If God created it, he's got a purpose for it, right? right. Are you with me on this? I'm not going to embarrass too many of you. No, but, but, but it's really important to understand that. And it concerns me that we don't talk about that. Because the world is not waiting until your kids get age-appropriate or whatever. They're bombarding them with improper information about sex right now. And they need to know the truth. So I just want to say that. I think it's important we do that. And use these opportunities to talk about that from a biblical perspective what's age-appropriate. But the reason I say this point here is that most women, not all women, have to open themselves up to a man emotionally before they can do so physically. And so every union... Melanie says it requires a depth of emotional involvement in order for the woman to fully enter into the act. So practice number six really requires husbands or couples to be sexually sensitive to each other. And then men have issues too that I won't talk about here in church, in church but that women and wives need to be aware of. And guys, when you begin to have problems in this area, you need to talk to your wife. Remember, communication is to marriage what location is to real estate. You got to communicate, communicate, communicate. Assume nothing and talk about everything. And then with that book is a great resource. It's called The Dance of Restoration, Overcoming Marital Infidelity. And then practice number seven, it requires becoming a student of your spouse. Because as we were doing this research for this book uh, for young men, it's called Choose Greatness, 11 Wise Decisions Brave Young Men Make. When we, when we went into that, we found a lot of young men had been sexually abused by an older man, a fellow, a relative, whatever. And, 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 the, and the research shows that one out of six men have been sexually abused. So probably one out of six men in this room have been sexually abused. And as well as women can be sexually abused or mentally abused. And so what that means is that we need to have an understanding that our spouse may have been unintentionally or intentionally wounded by their parents or some people in authority as a child. And so their wounds may result, be a result of emotionally, verbal, or even worse, physical abuse. So why do I say that? Because sometimes if you notice your spouse may respond in a different way or overreact to something, it may be from, from an abuse. And so when you remove from that particular conflict, you might want to ask him or her, you know, and say, honey, you know, I know that something happened, but it seems your response that was really over the top is more to it than what happened. And God may begin to use you to begin healing your spouse, opening the door. Not be his or her counselor, I'm not saying that, but just make aware. And I just want to say this last thing, is that you can have the marriage you've always wanted if you're willing to work for it. You can have the marriage you've always wanted if you're willing to work for it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your wisdom. And Lord, help all of us who are working in this context of marriage and relationship. And I pray for singles as well, not to feel less than, that you would glorify yourself. And I pray, Lord, for any truths that come out today, that you would help us to apply it. And Lord, anything that's not of you, I pray you to help this group to forgive it.
We be glorified in all you say and do, Father. Amen.